This morning's sermon will be on Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. And you can find that on page 974 of your Pew Bibles. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. And here we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to, the, to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running so well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in our everyday dealings with each other, we often maybe even unknowingly, live by a system of reciprocity. Now, what is that? It's where one person does something for us, and we feel obligated to return the favor somehow. For example, our neighbors mow the lawn for us while we are away for a while, and when we return, we feel the need to do something for them. Either mow their lawn bake them cookies, could be anything. But when they refuse to let us do something in return, we have a difficult time accepting their generosity. Somehow, we must be able to repay them. Nothing is free after all. Now let's look at the bigger picture of salvation. God gifted his covenant people free grace. He did so out of his good pleasure. His people receive grace 
without paying the price because it's free. They receive God's favor and all the benefits that come with it without owing him because it's free. Receiving eternal citizenship into the kingdom of God, free of all obligation because Christ paid the price on the cross. God gave his people an incredible free gift, salvation. But do we receive this free gift of grace well? Or does the freedom from earning our salvation, the freedom that Christ paid for, something that we stumble and trip over? This morning we will hear the gospel message about the freedom of Christ under this theme and points. The theme being, stand firm in the freedom of Christ. And we will look at three different things. First, Christ freed us from the yoke of the law. Secondly, Christ freed us by faith alone. And thirdly, Christ freed us to serve one another. Our first point then, Christ freed us from the yoke of the law. In the opening words of our passage this morning, we notice the command that Paul gave to the believers of Galatia. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. As indicated in Acts 15, verse 10, a yoke is something that is placed upon the neck. It is heavy and burdensome. Do not submit to the heavy burdens of slavery. Slavery is, of course, the opposite of freedom. So we have this opposition between freedom and slavery. Either we are completely free or we are enslaved. There is no in-between. And what yoke of slavery are the Galatian believers being tempted to burden themselves with? The law or more precise, circumcision. Circumcision is a procedure that involves cutting. This cutting would leave a mark on the males of young Jewish boys. The mark was a symbol of God's covenant with his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. God had required it for his people, Israel. Genesis 17 For some Jewish believers, also known as Judaizers, this symbol of God's covenant was still required. Not only was it required, but it was necessary for salvation. Although they claimed that they believed in Jesus Christ, they held onto this symbol. And we see the argumentation of those who belong to the party of the Pharisees in Acts 15. Verse 1 mentions that they taught that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And in verse 5 we read, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The Judaizers were pressuring and urging the Galatian believers who were Gentiles to circumcise. And God, in his mercy and out of concern for his people in Galatia, 
inspired Paul, his messenger, his apostle, to write this letter to them in order to warn them of their impending slavery. Paul says, if you accept circumcision, and we start at verse 2 here, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept circumcision, you are obligated to keep the whole law. If you accept circumcision, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The Galatian believers were obligated to keep the whole law if they accept circumcision. The whole law, all of God's covenant laws in the Old Testament. This includes laws of what types of foods to eat, keeping of feasts, laws regarding property markers, what one should wear, how to conduct business with your neighbor, the ten words of the covenant, all these laws. They would need to perfectly keep all these laws of the old covenant. And why perfectly? Because Christ had come into the world. He had fulfilled the ceremonial laws and had perfectly obeyed the ten words of the covenant. He completed all that was necessary for salvation on the cross. Jesus Christ set the perfect standard for keeping the laws. And with his arrival, Jesus Christ brought in a fuller reality of the gospel of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. Where perfect obedience to the law was necessary in the Old Covenant, only faith in Jesus Christ is needed for the new. If the Galatian believers accepted circumcision, their relationship with God would be altered. Their standing with God would be based upon their own performance under the law. A performance that is never perfect because of sin. This is why Peter mentions in Acts 15 that neither the Jewish forefathers nor themselves could bear this yoke. The laws themselves are good, but man is sinful. Paul revealed the seriousness of the matter. If they accept circumcision, Christ would be of no advantage to them. They would be severed from him. They would fall away from grace. In other words, if they accept circumcision, they would not receive the benefits of Christ. They would not receive the benefits because they would have cut themselves off from him. They would be held captive under the guardianship of the law. Galatians 3, verse 23 through 24. If they accept circumcision, they deny Christ's atoning work on the cross. In Christ, they stand justified before God and free from the curse. And if they rely on their performance of keeping the law, they would place themselves under God's wrath, under the curse. This would be the case if they accept circumcision. 
And circumcision today is, is not uncommon. According to some online statistics, the estimate is that one-third of all Canadian boys are circumcised. And maybe you are listening this morning and you are thinking, I am circumcised. Is there an obligation for me to keep the whole law? Am I severed from Christ, fallen from grace? Brothers, do not be concerned about your salvation. There is nothing wrong with the act of circumcision. As Paul notes, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The point is, whether you are circumcised or not does not affect your relationship with God. You don't need to do anything in order to be saved by God or received by God. The idea that an obligation needs to be met before we receive God's favor is what hinders us from obeying the truth. Which is why Paul says to the Galatians, you were running well. And then ask them, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And earlier in the letter, in chapter 3, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Remember, Paul was writing to covenant believers. He is astonished that they are deserting God who called them into the grace of Christ. They are turning to a different gospel. Galatians 1 verse 6. They are being deceived. And deception is not glaringly obvious, which is why it is deceptive. It does not present itself in an obvious way. The danger is there for all believers of all times and places to fall into this trap of thinking we can earn our own salvation, or somehow we can be part of our salvation. We can become so us-centered and forget that God both begins and completes our salvation. So it's necessary to take an assessment of our own motives and intentions. Christian duties and customs are part of every church. In our church, for example, we sometimes have the opportunity to baptize new believers. And this is a, a symbol of God's covenant with his people. Just as circumcision was for the Israelites in the Old Testament. Baptism is a symbol that God commands for his people. For example, when the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 converted... He and his family were baptized by Paul and Silas. And that's the order. He converted, then was baptized. This follows the pattern for a lot of new converts in the New Testament. First belief, so first salvation, and then came the symbol. Our sacrament for baptism, which is commanded by God, is not necessary for salvation although it assures us greatly in our faith. God is capable of saving those who are not baptized, which is a wonderful comfort for parents 
who have had miscarriages. Our babies are saved by virtue of the covenant of grace, not by works. This spirit-driven understanding causes us to turn away from our own efforts of salvation and cling ever more tightly to Jesus Christ. Christ freed us from the yoke of the law, the works of the law. Recall our Lord's words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Unlike the law, Christ's yoke is easy. In him, our souls find rest. Our anxieties of salvation are put to rest. We no longer need to worry about being perfect in ourselves. We don't have to worry about having perfect obedience and knowledge of God's will. But rather, we can now place our hope in Jesus Christ alone. And this will lead us to our second point. Our second point being, Christ freed us by faith alone. The Holy Spirit teaches us that it is by faith alone in Christ Jesus that believers are freed from slavery and made righteous before God. We read in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Often as sinners, our minds are drawn to how we can make ourselves right before God. Here the Galatian believers are taught to trust in Christ alone for their righteousness before God. With respect to their salvation, all the glory belongs to God. Paul says, we ourselves wait for the hope of righteousness. Believers must wait. When we wait for something, it is because we are unable to accomplish it on our own. If we could, we wouldn't have to wait. Take, for example, a, a framing crew waiting for lumber to show up on site. If they could produce their own lumber, they wouldn't have to wait. But they cannot, so they must wait. So here, too, the believers are waiting for something to occur which is out of their control and which they are unable to produce. And what future event were the Galatian believers waiting for? The hope of righteousness. They are waiting for that future event when Jesus Christ would return. And the day of judgment will occur. It is at that time that the righteousness of all believers will be declared before the world by Jesus himself, the righteous one. And they wait with hope. Hope. 
Hope in this context is not some strong desire, a wishing without certainty, but they wait with complete trust and confidence that this event will take place. As Paul mentions in in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing for the sons of God. In verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Holy Spirit actively works in the hearts of believers, providing them with trust and confidence. He alone sustains the faith needed for the waiting. And what a comfort this is. Jesus Christ through his Spirit, by faith, is sanctifying us, making us holy each and every day with the purpose of completing our salvation. Christ frees us from slavery, and once free, he does not leave our side. He guarantees our righteousness before God forever. Not with us, but despite us. Christ will declare the righteousness of all believers when he returns on the day of judgment. Paul is encouraging the Galatian believers to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. He is confident in the Lord that they will take no other view, no other gospel. He is confident because the Lord promises to preserve those in whom he has begun a good work. Philippians 1, verse 6. Those who teach a gospel, a false gospel, will bear the penalty. Their persuasion is not from God, who alone calls the Galatian believers. Paul is certain they will not escape God's judgment. Their teachings are so poisonous to Paul that he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. If they, cut, if they believe that circumcision is necessary for salvation, I wish those troublemakers would just cut it all off. That's how unnecessary circumcision is. It is completely unnecessary for salvation. And he reminds and warns the believers A little leaven leavens the whole lump. To say as Jesus did to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke 12, verse 1. This hypocrisy spreads quickly and could affect the whole community of believers. What Christ has done on the cross for believers is offensive. A stumbling block for those who are proud. The cross declares that righteousness for sinners is found only in 
Jesus Christ. The proud trip over this gospel message. They believe that in their own goodness, God must consider their works as well. Some are so hardened in their unbelief that they persecute those who preach salvation by faith in Christ alone. The Spirit has taught Paul that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Once again, emphasizing that works don't contribute, contribute at all to one's righteousness, but only faith in the person Jesus Christ. Our faithfulness is in attending Bible study, our faithfulness in helping out with church programs, these do not contribute to our righteousness. God declares sinners righteous only because Christ perfectly obeyed him and died for their sins. And Jesus Christ consists our righteousness. We receive his righteousness by faith. Christ has freed us by faith alone. A free gift of grace from God to his people that we can never pay back. So we must receive, receive the gift with thankfulness. And in our third point, we will see how this faith expresses itself through works of love. Our third point then. Christ freed us to serve one another. God calls his covenant people, the Galatian believers, and us today to freedom. He does so through the Spirit, by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ, through whom the gospel of salvation is realized. And what a wonderful gift of grace. We no longer have the burdensome yoke of the law on our necks. But Paul warns again, and he warns here with these words, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And this is the danger. Once we receive the message of relief from slavery and granting of freedom in Christ, we may think that we can now do whatever we want because all our imperfections are covered in Christ. And some may think that it is okay then to get drunk. It is okay to have premarital sex or an affair or whatever opportunities of the flesh we can think of because Christ loves me and forgives me and I have freedom in him. This false Christian freedom presents itself in ways of self-satisfaction. And with this mindset, the focus of believers is on me, myself, and I, rather than others. Sadly, in the name of Christian freedom, some may even bite and devour others and consume fellow believers. And this type of behavior may bring to mind what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And there he writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. Devouring others is unrighteous behavior. It's the type of behavior that tears apart the body of believers and creates conflict. Whereas before the efforts of earning salvation by keeping God's laws was an error, this self-centered behavior rejects laws altogether. And this is also a serious error. As Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. But instead, thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. God has freed us from the law, and we are now slaves of righteousness. And since we are righteous, we bear the fruits of righteousness. In this new life of righteousness, we gladly surrender ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, to the Lord. And we live our lives to serve our neighbor. And this is reflected in Paul's command to the Galatian believers. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in the command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because loving our neighbor shows that we also love God. Having reconciled sinners to himself, God directs the hearts and minds of believers to a life of love and service for others. This is true Christian freedom. Christ freed us to serve one another in love. And what type of love are we talking about? We're talking about a love that strongly looks after the needs of others to serve them. A love that puts others before ourselves. It's not necessarily a a sappy love, like a husband-wife relationship, but a relationship that is dedicated to carrying the burdens of others. It's a type of love that rejoices in the sign of the covenant, baptism. It's a type of love that's eager to be part of church activities, programs, outreach, or VBS. It's a type of love that brings us to provide meals for families that are going through trials. It's a type of love that causes us to lift up our voices before the Lord in prayer for a church member, bringing their knees before our Heavenly Father, knowing that He is capable of granting what is needed. And it is no coincidence that this love resembles the eternal love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. While he was here on earth in the flesh, he lived a life of love, compassion, service, and humility for others. It is he who sustains our faith, and it is from this faith alone that we live out our Christian freedom. 
He is the vine, and we are the branches. And in him, we bear much Christian love. Brothers and sisters, the gospel's message of freedom is so encouraging. Jesus Christ has paid the full cost of our salvation. He has freed us from the heavy yoke of contributing to our own salvation. This then shapes our lives and relationships with others. He has freed us so that we may truly serve one another and care for one another. This is his will. This is how he continues to demonstrate his love and compassion among his people. He daily works in the hearts of the body of believers so that all will experience his love and nearness. Amen.